and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Mr. Grayson. And obviously, we're recording this podcast in buoyant mood on the back <laughs> of our 3-1 win at Leicester, which we'll get on to shortly. But before we do that, we need to return to our commentary quiz that we took a break from last week when we recorded post-Benfica. Um so we're going to return to our commentary quiz today, and I think it is my turn to go first. Sure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've I've fallen off a cliff with this, so I'm very happy to get my shame out the door early, uh, <laughs> out the way, nice and early. I don't know. I, th- I think this is this is one that's that's tailor made for you. I think. Okay. You're nervous now, aren't you? <laughs> very. <laughs> Okay, so your piece of commentary is, it's Henri getting clear though, it's Thierry Henri. Um, oh, uh, oh, uh, that's against Tottenham, isn't it? No. Oh, come on. I, I, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> you know, I thought that was his lung-busting run, and I can hear Clyde Tilsley going, Thierry Henri! Uh, but... But no, okay, all right. Can I have it again, please, actually? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's Henri getting clear, though. It's Thierry Henri. I can add a bit of a, I can add a yeah. bit of emotion and context, if that will help. Yeah, both of those would really help. <laughs> okay. It's Henri getting clear, though. It's Thierry Henri! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how I pictured it in my head. That was lovely. He and scored. I can hear it. He scored for Arsenal. <laughs> is it uh, Omri at the Bernabeu? It is Omri at the Bernabeu. There we go. Yes. We got there in the end. <laughs> I watched that the other day. Yes. Ah. Oh. Well, as you know, Tom, I was there. I, it's right. it's one of the the major ones that I'm envious of you, and it it's always uh, quite painful to talk about this with you because I know you were there. Um, and as much as I was, I'm delighted that you were there and got to experience that wonderful moment. Part of me wishes that you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I just remember. Um, I, I I'm not doing this to rub it in. I promise. Have you ever it been? Feels to- like you are. Burnabout. <laughs> I've not been to the Burnabout, okay. no. It's similar to the new camp in terms of how far away you are as an away fan, um, but with a roof and heaters, which was welcomed uh, at the time of year it was. Um, and I remember we got uh, we flew there from where, where I, I live in Spain and uh, no expectation. You know, we had Real Madrid. It was the first time in my lifetime we had Real Madrid. We were We weren't having the best of seasons um and i don't know what uh, you know they had they had the galacticos and it was just impossible to know what to expect and we played them off the park that was the thing is that in so many big games we played teams off the park but didn't necessarily see it through but in this one it's one moment of magic and that goal is the best goal I've ever seen live just in terms of uh, the, the the caliber of opponent the man who scored it because you know only Henri's doing that but the players he pushes out the way who are incredible defenders and one I think my favorite thing about that goal whenever you watch it is the Arsenal fans in the home end who yeah. probably thought 
I'm not going to celebrate if we score. But after that, you just see these arms sort of flailing around like uh, <laughs> those uh, inflatable men outside a gas station. <laughs> 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 what are your memories of that goal? I've, I've got really, really nice memories of that goal, actually, because as much as it's obviously a sour point that I didn't get to experience that, it was a moment that I'll probably treasure forever because I watched the game at home um, with my with my dad and I remember we rearranged the furniture to give us the best possible view of the game. <laughs> so the sofa got completely moved so me and him were directly in front of the TV. And I'm not really sure why that happened, but it did. Um, and I remember just this embrace at the at the full-time whistle where when the goal went in obviously we hugged each other as well but it was the final whistle my dad just stood up and just had his arms aloft for what seemed like 10 minutes and <laughs> I, I just sort of crept in and gave him a hug and it was just like oh that, that was just a really lovely moment so mm. it's a it's a game that I have got very special memories for um for very different reasons but it's just uh, one of those really nice moments that I share with my dad um throughout all these years of watching football um, yeah. So I, I'm hoping when he listens to this, he he remembers that moment as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's special. It's special. And as, okay. And as, as the commentary goes on, it says Thierry Henry, the Gunner Galactico. It is Real Madrid nil, Arsenal one. It's uh, Henry getting clear. It's Thierry. Yeah, that was uh, oh, shivers, shivers. Okay, all right. Mine is, mine is. You'll get this. <clears throat> oh, don't put that pressure. No, no, you will. <laughs> Long way out. Oh, it's flashed in. Oh, I've added too much emotion there. Sorry. Uh, Long way out. Oh, it's flashed in. That is Thierry at home to Manchester United in the unbeaten season. I told you you'd get it because it's <laughs> it's one of the classics. Yeah, and if I'm getting Julio Baptista at Anfield in a League Cup tie, I'm getting Henri <laughs> against Man United. <laughs> in, in, in our most famous season of all. Yeah, I, I had a funny feeling you'd get that one quite quickly. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, that's another, another one. I, w- I watched that in some random pub with my dad and... Um, the, oh, the ferocity of that shot. There's so much movement on the ball <laughs> that it looks like, obviously, when you first see it, you think, oh, that's that's nailed on. That's a really poor bit of goalkeeping. And as much as you would still probably say the goalkeeper should do better, the way the ball goes one way and then goes into the other direction, although it goes straight down the middle of the goal, it swerves all over the place. Mm. Um, and I lo- again, I, you know I'm a, a man who loves his celebrations. And I'm a big fan of Thierry's celebration when he's running out towards the uh, the corner of the North Bank and the East Stand and has Reyes trying to jump on him and he just brushes him off <laughs> to, to say, this is my moment, I'm celebrating this. And then he lets everyone else in and it's just a classic Thierry moment. But um, Yeah, yeah, saw, it's interesting. Two Henri moments for us. Yeah, I saw um, someone shared some stats earlier of his goals and assists numbers for the, well, basically for his entire Arsenal career. And they are absurd. Like the amount of goals and assists he he was part of 
Um, I think it was a national team that included as well. But I think what I, in the unbeaten year, I think it was 59 goals that he was that in 2004 that he um, contributed. Wow. And that's just phenomenal numbers. And even by today's standards that have been sort of completely blown out of the park by Ronaldo and, and Messi with their their figures, it's still a ridiculous number. And yeah. it's one of the biggest crying shames that Thierry Henry never won the Ballon d'Or because that's uh, in between 2002 and 2004, there were probably, there, were, there weren't better players on the planet. I remember he lost out of Pavel Nedved and the, the figures when you compare the two were absolutely disgraceful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. There's always a there's a bit of an English club bias in in all of that. Definitely, well, not but the opposite agenda. Yeah, anti, if you the like. anti bias, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But I, I remember I was so nervous about that game because you kind of felt if we avoided defeat, we would see it through. It was sort of the last one with the end of season fixtures, just in terms of who we were playing. That if anyone was going to end it, it was going to be Man United, and so it transpired. But just not then. And uh, it was just, uh, it was wonderful. I mean, it was a, that was a close run thing as well. That game was horrible after they equalised. Yeah. Um, but yeah, special game, special goal, special player. Here's Reyes. All right, long way out. Oh, it's flashed in. <laughs> it's another extraordinary goal from Thierry scourge of Manchester United and of many other clubs. Swerved, confused goalkeeper. 1-0 Arsenal. Do we, do we have a Schalke update, Andre? <laughs> yeah, we've got a big Schalke update. Um, so bad news for them. Sven Mislintat's recruitment policy at Frankfurt um, has gone in the way you'd expect in that it's been absolutely brilliant. And when he took them over last when he joined them last season, um, they went up from Bundesliga 2 uh, and now they are in the main Bundesliga. And, and they have been tearing it up with um, Dinos Mavropanos uh, at the heart of their defence. Um, but Dinos could do nothing to prevent a one-side Kolasinac scoring, um, which is absolutely thrilling. However, um, Mustafi and Kolasinac could not prevent a 5-1 defeat. <laughs> I mean that was an update even for me because the only information I've got about Schalke this week is I saw a clip of Schalke conceding from I think it was a set piece and Mustafi losing his man at the back post and throwing his arms up and blaming everyone else yes yes so I've seen that um, yes I've not seen anything else yes so there you go so um look not great look not great I would say that um Schalke are unsurprisingly with one win uh in the last calendar year heading down um, but i did read this is unbelievable that um there's so many stories here by the way it's actually absolutely hilarious to follow i encourage anyone to get on the bandwagon so schalke's manager is former tottenham boss christian gross <laughs> <laughs> did you know this no Okay, Carry on. <laughs> and Kalasinac, Mustafi and Huntelaar have led a player revolt uh, to get rid of him because his training methods, which were archaic in 1998, aren't uh, recognised as suitable in 2021. So they Gee. went to the border shout. So it's all going on behind the scenes. But yeah, three players were called out with Klaas Jan Huntelaar, um, Mustafi and Kalasinac. 
So big so, influence from Arsenal Football Club with that one because we yeah. we were linked with Huntelaar over the years. So. <laughs> we were. He's basically an Arsenal. It feels like he should have. He's played for us at some point or another. Him and Draxler have one hundred percent played at least a season at the Emirates. And and Huntelaar technically scored the first goal of the Emirates in Dennis Bergkamp's testimonial as well. That is good knowledge. That is good knowledge. There you go. There's a there's a link throughout. But yes, um, we'll see what happens with Schalke. But that's a pretty thorough update for you. I've been revising. That is a really thorough update. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Have you, have you been doing any work this week, or have you just been <laughs> reading <laughs> just about been looking at Schalke? <laughs> yeah, no, I can assure you, I uh, have only been thinking about Schalke. Good, and that's the kind of professionalism we want on this podcast. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And look, I'm from one side in blue, feeling blue, um, to another, Tom. <laughs> a wonderful transition. You've clearly been working on that one as well. <laughs> You were you were hoping I brought up Schalke before the Leicester game, weren't yeah, you? <laughs> clearly, clearly. I just look. I'm so I'm so uh, off the cuff. Look, when we win, everything flows much easier. You know, the confidence is back amongst the podcasters. Everything's flowing much better than the, the post Benfica game. You know, it's good stuff. Yes. So moving on to the Leicester game, uh, as I alluded to at the start of the podcast, we did win three one on the weekend, which was uh, a very pleasant surprise. Um, because I don't think myself or you, Andre, were particularly confident going into that game. Um, Not at all. Particularly when we saw the lineup. Mm. Now, I wanted to ask you what your initial reactions were to the lineup, because I think um, we spoke about it briefly, but it's probably a topic that's worth going into in a bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, what I thought was. And I don't know whether. It's very hard, isn't it? Because to really remember what you think. I wasn't mad about the lineup I think quite a few people probably were but I just felt like if you were we just had to freshen up the lineup and be fresher than Leicester and keep enough of a spine and that's what he did and I really am okay with it and I know in my head I went well we've picked a team that's he wants to lose this match not literally but I just felt a bit like when we went out to Southampton in the cup yes if these players step up, we should win. But I don't know that they will. Uh, but I was okay with the fact that we may not have a performance that we were hoping for. Because it feels like, as we discussed last week, our season is done. In terms of just the, the, the number of teams, but Premier League season, of course, between us and, you know, say Leicester, it's still 12 points even after the weekend. Yeah. So I was very happy with it, but sort of expected completely. It made me expect a loss more than I already was. Yeah, I think I was I was kind of in agreement with that. Um, because I know that before the game, you text me and, and basically said that you were OK with it. Um, and I was kind of in a different different camp, I think, because I could see the rationale for changing it. I really could. Um, having played on Thursday... Um, Obviously, in the last fortnight, we've been to Rome, we've been to Athens, we've uh, had some really, really tough games and it's, it's been a difficult time. Um, and I think you do need to factor in that, that that element of travel on top of playing as well. So I got it from that standpoint. Then the other argument was obviously that we don't play until Saturday. So we we're, don't have a midweek fixture. So I was kind of in two minds about what I actually thought of it. And I did think he'd gone too much with the rotation and that that was going to ultimately have a negative impact on the result. But 
as you said, the freshness was there for for our team, which is something that we've not we've not seen from those group of players when they've come in previously. So if we think about um, the Southampton game, the cup that you that you commented on, we didn't have that zip and that sharpness that we did on on Sunday. And what was really really impressive about it is that we could easily, particularly the recent league form. We could have crumbled when we went 1-0 down. And as soon as we went 1-0 down, we didn't change anything. We still dominated the ball. We still were probing. We were moving the ball quickly. Um, and we were getting the ball into the right areas. Uh, significantly, I think we'll get on to Pepe and William um, shortly. But those were two players that we knew they were having the beating of the players around them. And as a result of that, we kept getting the ball and shifting it to those areas. You only have to look at Pepe um, destroying Luke Thomas at left back hmm. to the point that he had to be substituted at half time to avoid getting sent off, and that was something which showed a little bit of intelligence that maybe we don't often see with Arsenal that we were identifying exactly where those areas were and really, really trying to take the game to Leicester from those those positions. Um, so. I've sort of gone off on a tangent from the initial point about the the squad rotation, but I I was just so impressed with the performance. I was really really impressed with it, and it it was a game as well. Once we got in front, you never felt like we were going to lose that. Leicester no. didn't really produce anything. Um, the only bit of nerviness that I sort of identified was when um, Jamie Vardy had that run through that Pablo Mari ex- expertly stopped. Mm. Who knew he was that quick, by the way? <laughs> I know. Rapid. Rapid. And then held him off and did a, a really, really good job. And I thought that was that was just uh, as threatening as Leicester really got. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, it, it, it's, it's one of these where it's really hard to know whether it was our freshness, whether it was our quality, Leicester, bad day. You know, but what I think it showed you is how hard it is. That, um, I, I messaged you um, as soon as they said it on BT Sport because I didn't know that we'd lost six out of seven games post Europa League ties. Yeah. And then uh, I um, thought about how pleasing it is that we're playing another team who had played in the Europa League. And then you looked at Leicester's squad and you looked at Harvey Barnes go down and you were like, yeah, do you know what? This is the problem with squad depth. And actually, our squad depth isn't bad. The problem has been we haven't got our first team right for most of the season because our freshness coming in could, you know, we should just be on six more points. That's all. You know, when I look at this season, I know ifs, buts and whatever, but like we, we should be on six more points. I don't even know which games they probably Wolves and Burnley, just picking yeah. two games off the top of my head. Then we'd be on 43 points and level with Liverpool. But the fact we did slip up in those two particular games means we are where we are, because I do think we've probably played this season right. We've now got freshness. And also, I think one of the things, bear with me one sec. There you go, a cough, a quick mute and unmute there to cough. There you go, can't catch Corona <laughs> through this podcast. Um, professionalism, love it. Absolutely. Talking of professionalism, you've sort of brought me onto the point is I just feel like this is time. We've been led by our youngsters all season, We're mainly Saka in fairness, but then Smith Rose come to the party. I think um, we'll go on to talk about Martinelli as, as well later on, just in terms of the lack of Martinelli. But when he came back and brought that energy in the City and Chelsea game, that changed our season. 
But now it's time for the youngsters maybe to sit down a bit, maybe not be as, as critical as they have been and let the senior pros deal with this business end of the season. Because I do think when you look at Willian, about time, mate, you've joined the party. But here he is. And actually, whatever people say, and this is a strange thing to say out loud, but Willian and Pepe are probably our best wingers if they play at their potential. Pepe is better than Saka. He's been there and done it. Saka is a very young player emerging in the game. Saka will be better than Pepe, but it's time for them to step up and start being influential on this team, especially for our up-and-coming Europa League ties. And, you know, it, look, I'm saying that. I can't get over that. We have praised Saka to the hill, but I just think now is the time. Senior pros who have been there and done it, who have barely played enough, this is their time. And I'm pleased we saw it against Leicester, but it's like now, off you go, boys. Same, you know, not the same team necessarily, but a similar team against Burnley. Willian and Pepe, go and replicate that. Go and replicate that. You know, protect the, our 19-year-old superstar from having all these minutes. You are the senior pros. You've been there and done it. You've had minutes in your legs. Go and make it happen. And I just felt against Leicester, they really stood up. I was so impressed with them. But it's about what they go and do now for me. Yeah. And I think just, just scrolling through social media on the back of that game, obviously you, you're going to have people who just dislike William and Pepe anyway. So it's going to be a case with some people that whatever they do is not going to be good enough. And I, I was pleased to see that they did get largely get praise on social media rather than the, the, the backhanded praise, as, as you could call it, where people just say, yeah, well, they, they were all right, but they've been terrible up to this point. And it was nice to see that in general, everyone was in quite buoyant mood and quite quite satisfied with what they saw. Mm. Um, I think what you're saying is really interesting about uh, leaning into the sort of senior pros, because I, I, I recall you texting me and said he needs to lean into Pepe. And I, I, I agree. And I think the only way that you're going to see the very best of Pepe, the only potential we have of seeing that is by him playing. There's, he needs to have a run of games. And it will be really disappointing if on the back of how well he played at Leicester, if he doesn't start at, at Burnley on the, on the weekend, because I think he's earned that opportunity. And you can make a case to say Williams earned that opportunity as well. Mm. Um, but it very much depends on what sort of team that he goes for in that game. Um, with, with obviously the Europa tie against uh, Olympiacos um, on the horizon. So, yeah, yeah very interesting. Um I also wanted to talk to you about Pablo Mari because I think most people are in agreement that between him and El Nene, someone was at fault for the, for the Leicester goal. Yeah. Um, obviously, a mistake by Xhaka to give the ball away, which I saw him own up to on uh, on social media and, and said after my mistake. Um, and I think we're seeing a bit more of a maturity from Xhaka. Um, and he's very much taking responsibility and he's doing all, all the right noises and he's doing the press conferences of, uh, of things. And he's almost being that leader off the pitch that you kind of need within a squad. And I'm quite enjoying yeah. that at the moment. Yeah. But going back to Pablo Murray, um, I thought after that first goal, which we can argue about who's actual fault it was because you can make a case that Elnene could have come off uh, across and cut the angle down. You can kind of understand why Pablo Mari got sucked in because Jamie Vardy was the was where where the, who was in the box, but maybe he should have come out across as well. But after that, he was I thought he was fantastic, and I thought he marshaled the defence alongside David Luiz superbly, 
and he didn't. He barely put a foot wrong after that. Um, and I think when we have seen him, we've seen why Arsenal brought him in because he is someone who. What I've noticed is that he doesn't necessarily need to have a run of games. He can come in and do a job and then come out of the team again. And whether he maybe will get a run in the team now with showing a bit more form than Gabrielle's showing at the moment, it'll be interesting to see who Arteta does go with. But I just like the way that Pablo Mari is is reliable to come in and do a job for us. Absolutely. And look... Uh... The, the the challenge with Marie has been he hasn't stayed fit the minute he, he looks like he'll get a run. And if he can do that, I mean, you'd have to say he seems a bit more of a calm head compared to Gabrielle. Gabrielle maybe has more physical advantages over him, should we say. Just when I say that, I don't, you know, he's more noticeable, Gabrielle, which you don't necessarily want from a defender. Um, I actually think they're our best two defenders, and it's amusing that they're both left-footed after yeah. Arteta's desire to have one of each. But I think you can see why we want a right-footed centre-half as well, because, you know, Holding and Louise could share minutes, but Saliba's tearing it up, and I hope we lean into that. But I agree with you that Marie just looks really solid, and he, he, he does bring an aura of calmness to the side, which 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 is missing. You know, he is the antithesis of David Louise. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't see. I, I don't want to curse him, and I'm so superstitious, so I won't. But you know, some of the sort of danger that brings itself to David Louise doesn't feel like it happens to Marie. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I just hope he can stay fit. And talking of staying fit, I did want to talk to you about Emil Smith Rowe because. Mm. I, I, you know, I was only on the last uh, podcast saying that he should play one or the other in case this happens. <laughs> um, and I'm, I think Smith Rowe does play the number ten a little bit better. Um, yeah. However, thank goodness we've got Odegaard. But what do you make of the fact Smith Rowe is is breaking down like this? Because it's not many games he's got, you know. It's it's concerning, um, and I think his young career has been really. Um, taken over by these some serious injuries but a lot of little niggly injuries as well that are are really holding him back and he's such an exciting and, and clever and creative player that you you just want him in your side um but i actually wrote down about emil smith row as, as as sad as it is that he's picked up another injury and hopefully it's not not long term um but what i wrote down is that could this kind of be a blessing to Mikel Arteta's side because at the moment he he was kind of trying to shoehorn both Smithrow and Erdegaard into the same side. And as mm. you alluded to last week, that's something which we don't necessarily think is, is, is really viable and maybe needs to select one or the other. And obviously for the Leicester game, he did go with just Smithrow. But I just think now that Smithrow, if he's going to miss a few games, it gives us that opportunity to really see what Erdegaard can do and also allow us to occupy those wide areas with um, wide players. And, and and then hopefully when Smith-Rowe does come back, then we should have two people competing for that slot in the middle and, and maybe not seeing Smith-Rowe sort of chucked out to the left wing. Um, so, I, yeah, I, what, what do you think about that? Do, do you think that might be beneficial to Arteta? To I hadn't actually thought of, that of it. Thought? 
I hadn't actually thought of thought of it that way at all. Um, to be honest, I think it's a really, really sort of salient point and probably accurate, which I think is more concerning about what we think our manager will do and see more so than yeah. anything else. But I agree with you; it does fix a bit of a headache. Um, and look, if he's out for a couple of weeks and Erdegaard takes the next few, then that's all right. It's just we've got some massive games on the horizon, and you'd want both. Um, yeah, but I definitely. think with with Smith Rowe, my biggest concern is that the team depends now, and it does depend, on a number 10. And for me, he does the best job. Odegaard probably will get there, and maybe if he was match fitter or had been here a bit longer, he would actually be uh, the, the, the best one for that. Um, so interesting, interesting. And again, I wanted to ask you, because I sort of um, touched on it before, but but Martinelli not playing. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll sort of preface this with, I'm quite comfortable with him not playing and developing slower due to the nature of his injury. And I think I'm comfortable with, he came back, broke down in a couple of warm-ups and hasn't been seen since. I think we're managing him excellently and it's sort of break for emergencies only. Um, but what do you think of the fact Martinelli's not, not really getting a look in? Uh, I've got to be honest, I'm really surprised at the level of animosity amongst the fan base about that topic because I'm like you I, I think we are managing him and being sensible about bringing him back and Arteta was very vocal in his, his press conference and he keeps reiterating that he will be a big player for us um, and I like the fact that he keeps doing that because it's it's keeping Martinelli involved with the squad even though he's not necessarily getting minutes so I like the way that he's been managed from that regard and I also like, like I said, I like that he is being carefully brought back in. Mm. And Arteta commented and said that it's about finding the right games for him. And I know that he got asked after the Benfica game about why he wasn't brought on. And Arteta gave a really, really good response to say that, well, there wasn't space in behind because they're playing with two bank, two like a low block. And that's not really suited to Martinelli's game. And I thought, well, at least then he's... He's demonstrating that he does understand that different players are required for different situations. I mean, you can maybe justify why in the Benfica game he brought on Willian mm. as opposed to um, Pepe or Martinelli. Um, so I think it's interesting. But I, I, I for one, think he, he's, he's doing the right thing at the moment. And I think we will see him get minutes. But also, I think Arteta's prioritising having players that he feels are maybe more comfortable in possession and that he can trust to not lose lose possession in, in, in tight areas. Because I think what we've seen of Martinelli is that he is a risk taker, mm. um, which is something we do love about him. But I, I, I think Arteta's maybe being a little bit more cautious at the moment and going with those players that he, he thinks will keep possession of the ball and move it in the right areas, which is why I think maybe William's sort of getting the nod at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like anything. When you're winning, it's fine. The minute we start losing and he's not playing and we don't like it, that's when you feel differently. But more generally, yeah. I do think Martinelli will be a big player for us. It might be one of those seasons. But also, when you look at the number of games we've got coming up and some might just require exactly his style. Because I've got to be honest, if I was a defender who had played X, this many games this season and I've got flipping fully fit Gabriel Martinelli hounding me down, you're going to go, I really don't fancy this. Like I'm yeah. thinking of someone like Burnley. You know, I know I said Willian 
I'd rather him keep with that team. But you know, the thought of Burnley going, well, that well, they're pointless because they don't, they just hoof it. But even Tottenham maybe having having Martinelli hound them down non-stop might just be the way to go. But we'll see, won't we? We'll see. It's uh, it's um, it's going to be interesting, and I'm not too I'm not too worried about it. Um, Do you see him being a left winger or a centre forward? I think he'll be a centre forward in in long term um, because I think his movement is electric and he looks like he's capable of every type of finish. Yeah, um, well, we, but maybe well, we, we saw last season how good his heading is as well. Um, yeah, I want him in the box, and yeah. I know we've had a striker at left winger, and I know he could be a left winger. But I just think if you are as good as he looks like he could be, you want that player through the middle because one of the things we've talked about. And one of the things I think was was actually um, evident against Leicester compared to the Southampton game you referenced is because Aubameyang's playing down the middle, our sub for Aubameyang is Alexander Lacazette, not yeah. Eddie Nketiah for freshness. And the quality drop-off when you go to Nketiah is enormous. And having Lacazette there, who's a very good striker, and Aubameyang, you know, Aubameyang and him swapping around, for me, that's exactly what you want is that yeah. when you have games like this, you have someone of the quality of Lacazette coming in. It makes a huge difference. Um, but you want your talent through the middle of your pitch. I know that you know, Liverpool have somewhat changed it, but if you look at City's best teams, which we're more <laughs> comparable with, Aguero still has absolutely banged goals in despite their style. And that's where you want your talent, the number nine. You know, If you've got a great number nine, it covers a lot of sins. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I'm getting emotional about the future of Gabriel Martinelli. No, when you were talking, I muted it and coughed because I had some water and it obviously went down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> and then I thought I got away with it. And then as soon as I I started speaking, I just came out with this squeaky voice. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Proves it proves it's perfectly live, this. Um, yeah. Alas, alas. So so what I wanted to ask you since we last spoke, and I know I, I was a bit downbeat after the Benfica game, and I'm almost overly optimistic now. I also yeah. want to address one thing. I know I'm saying lean into the senior pros now, but I don't think generally, I think he did this too much at the start of the season and youth was the way to go, but mainly because of talent. I still think our youngsters are better, but they've just been overdone. Um, just because I know I've said it in the past about youngsters and, and like swapping it round now, but I just think now's the time for the senior pros, whereas it, he took too long to move to it. And talking of senior pros and stepping up, we've got a revenge mission against Olympiakos. Um, we have. And I, I, when I was reading through the list of teams we might get last th- on Thursday, I said, Olympiakos, mm, we don't want them. And here we are, we have Olympiakos, um, which was one of the better teams we could draw. But sort of what are your thoughts? What chances do you give us um, away at the, uh, what is it, the Georgios Kazarakis? Um, and then back to the, um, for our home leg and then back to our home leg at the Emirates. <laughs> um, I, to be honest, I, I, I kind of listened back to the podcast that we did last week. And like you, I think I, I think that's the danger of doing those uh, reactionary podcasts immediately after games because you either go one way or the other. And even though we won and the way that we won, um, I think the points we made were very valid and relevant. 
But I think maybe we were a bit more downbeat than maybe we should have been on the back of a, a victory. Um, yeah. But but what I would say in terms of the draw, I, as you said, I think it's one of the better draws we could have got. Um, I do fancy us over two legs. I know we off air we were speaking about that and you weren't quite as confident as me. Um, but I was very confident that we'd beat Benfica and I somewhat got away with that. Um, but no I I think it's a decent draw Um, the the thing that does worry me is uh, Socrates uh, (laughs) powering one home Mm Yeah, look, I've got to be honest. Last season when we went out to Olympiacos, it was one of these, it was a bit like the Benfica game. I sort of didn't really know how. And I've got to sort of remember that that's something that's in my mind. And what I mean by that is we should beat Olympiacos despite everything. And I don't know that we could say that for a lot of teams in the tie, in the draw, sorry. And if you're into the quarterfinal stage, it really is anything can happen. Um, I'm also glad we didn't get an English team, all things considered, especially with the North London derby sandwich between there. Um, but you have to say, if we can get a good positive result um, and set ourselves up for this nice little run, uh, you know, we've got to beat Burnley. Uh, that will not be more than 1-0 if we do win. No chance. There's not two goals there for, for us. Incoming um, 5-0 win. There's <laughs> just no chance. I would be astounded if either side scored two goals in that match. Um, yeah. Um, and then, of course, Olympiacos, then Tottenham, then the home leg, then West Ham, then Liverpool. We are entering what can only be described as crunch time. Um and I've got one little anecdote for you. So, so Mark, who we've mentioned a couple of times, he, his wife's pregnant and he's turning 30 this month. So I messaged him this morning and uh, sorry, yesterday. I was like, first of the month, big month coming ahead, coming up, mate. And he said, yeah, no, season defining. We've got, you know, the <laughs> <laughs> and said, no. And I just thought, that summed it all up, really. Just... <laughs> Oh, it, was, it was perfect. I was like, no, no, not Arsenal. Although, yes, you are right. Season defining. I mean, the next five games, and this is really what it's all about. I, I would, I would at this point, um, you never, I, I'd take drawing in the North London derby and, you know, not necessarily winning the other two games we've mentioned to get through the Olympiacos tie. You know, I think that's where we're at with this season. Uh, you can't think like that as a pro. Arteta won't rotate in the way I'd rotate. You also can't do as much rotation against Tottenham as we did against Leicester because you've got to win that. You've got to go out to win that game. Um, and it's just, it's, it's crunch time, isn't it? It's absolutely crunch time. Well, yeah, as Mark said, it's a season-defining month. <laughs> season-defining month, especially for, for him. Uh, and then I believe we've got an international break coming up, which makes do, loads yeah. of sense. Yeah. So Leicester. we've got after the West Ham game, it's an international break. Yeah, it's ridiculous, ridiculous at this time of year to to need that. Um, I, I, I get why because obviously with the Euros in the summer, they, they need to have that. But it's just it's too much football at the moment. It's too much for these players, and there's not it's not a surprise that so many teams are picking up so many injuries. Um, but. <laughs> It is what it is. It's just a, a case of managing it. And uh, that's what Arteta has done successfully this week. He's managed his squad well. Yeah. Um, and obviously, just looking at Leicester and the amount of injuries that they picked up, and uh, looking particularly at Harvey Barnes and how bad that injury looks. 
Um, it's, it's, it's so important to be able to have a squad that you can change players and not affect the quality that much. Um, obviously, no one can compete with Manchester City um, for that because they can make seven changes and you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> no. Um, but the rest of us, it's about trying to manage that as, as best we can. And obviously, at the moment, in the last week, Arteta's got that balance correct. So hopefully that will uh, will continue. But a uh, big, big game against Burnley on the weekend to try and get that momentum in, and keep it going forward. Absolutely, absolutely. And, no, and, and look, to be honest, quite excited to see, quite excited to see if we can keep that going. It's certainly more more upbeat. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so that brings us to the final section of the podcast where we are going to reminisce about goals from years gone by. Now, this week, the theme that we've decided on is goals against Leicester. Um, Andre, would you like to kick us off with your first goal? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, which was uh, actually, I didn't realise this at the time. I'm going to talk about a goal from the last time we won at um, the King Power prior to this weekend, which was when we gave them a drubbing in our gold kit in the sunshine um, and beat them 5 2 uh, on our way to winning the award for somehow coming second place behind Leicester, for fuck's sake. Oh, no, I've just blown it. Oh, never mind. Uh, anyway, the goal I'm going to talk about is Alexis Sanchez's um, hat-trick goal in the last minute. Now, this was a beautiful day at the King Power. Um, and I could have talked about any of his goals in this. I, I particularly love the Ozil cross for Sanchez's flicked header. But this was uh, a throw-in down the uh, left-hand touchline. Uh, he takes one touch and spins it round N'Golo Kante, who, who has spent most of his career against Arsenal looking for where the ball and the players have gone. I have to say, for one who is supposedly a world-class defensive midfielder, we take the piss out of N'Golo Kante quite a lot. Um, we do. <laughs> we really do. For, for his quality, he does not like playing us. He fell over against Martinelli, still looking for Ozil. And in this one, he didn't know what day it was when Sanchez gave him the turn. And he bends it past Kasper Schmeichel into the far corner. And it was just joyous. It was such a good win. Ironically, it set Leicester on their way. But it was that feeling, those away days, quite early in the season. Sun was out. Arsenal performing, tearing a team apart. You know, pure Wenger ball. Um, and it was just one of those great days. One of those great goals. And, and just, yeah, fantastic, fantastic goal. I was waiting for you to uh, mention, mention where I that was you were uh, at the rugby. Yes, no, I decided <laughs> I decided to let you off the hook, but you've gone for it. So yeah, that was. Uh, that I always enjoy bringing this game up as well. Yeah, this is another one that is very close to uh, the Real Madrid one for ones that I just hate talking about <laughs> because it's it's just a source of pain. And it was evidently when I went to uh, Ellen Road to watch uh, Canada versus Italy in the rugby. Um, it was a rugby World Cup. Uh, I went and I think it was a desperate attempt to save a failing relationship. (laughs) (laughs) And I've since learned that never, ever sacrifice any game that Arsenal playing for anything else. (laughs) Yeah, I won't won't be making that mistake again, Andre. (laughs) No, no, for sure. For sure. But uh, there you go. It was a wonderful, wonderful day out. Okay, so... (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm going to talk about my first selection. And my first selection is a Dennis Bergkamp masterpiece, which is very, very uh, aptly timed because the day of recording is actually when Berg, uh, I think it's 19 years, 19 years. since Dennis Bergkamp turned Nikos Dabizas and scored one of the greatest goals that's ever been scored. Um, but I'm going to talk about another one of his absolute masterpieces. And when I say Bergkamp versus Leicester, we obviously are talking about his hat-trick and, we, and most people would go for his hat-trick goal um, with that exquisite first touch, making Matt Elliott look like an idiot and controlling and bringing it back to him and then putting it into the top corner. But that's not the one that I'm going to select. I'm going to select his first goal from that game. And this was at Leicester before they moved to the King Power. So this was at Filbert Street. And it's just, a, it's such a simple goal, but it's absolutely magnificent because Mark Overmars takes a corner kick and plays it to the edge of the box. Bergkamp takes one touch out of his feet and then just bends it into the top corner. But he bends it into the top corner from such a wide berth that it looks like it's got no chance of going in. And if you pick the ball up, and took it to the net and placed it somewhere. You couldn't have placed it any better than Dennis Bergkamp did for that goal. And mm. it's the only thing that ruins that goal for me is the net. Because the net just the ball <laughs> hits it and just comes straight out. There's no there's no like there's too much tension on the net and it bounces straight out of the goal and it kind of ruins it a little bit for me. Um because I'm I'm one for aesthetics. <laughs> But, that is amazing. Yeah, that bloody net. But that bloody net. But what a goal. What a fantastic mm. goal. And it's obviously um that whole I mean that was two of the goals from that game were included in Match of the Day's goal of the month alongside uh, another one of his against Southampton and he finished 1-2 and 3 uh, in that month <laughs> with <laughs> on his own which was pretty pretty impressive and I, I, I don't think anyone else ever did that <laughs> no. I don't think anyone else in any goal of the month panel will ever do that again um, but it just is a, a testament to what a fantastic player he was and, and some of the incredible goals that he scored and that was right up there for me yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, no love it love it well, well my, my my second one um and there's so many against Leicester. I was just doing a quick uh, search of some of the, the results we've had. And it's Stephen cr- Hughes, yeah? Uh, oh, <laughs> I used to love Stephen Hughes growing up. I was so confused. You got a brace against Chelsea. I was the best player ever. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I'm bizarrely going to talk about a uh, goal that, that I, I'd be astounded if many people remember. Um because I don't even think the game was on TV. It was Arsene Wenger's uh, penultimate um, away game, which was uh, away at Leicester. Um, and uh, the, his last full game was against uh, Huddersfield, uh, of which getting a ticket was impossible, despite the volume of credits we have, and uh, had a tournament on the Emirates that day, I believe. And uh, so couldn't make it. So this was my last away day of Arsene Wenger's. Now, we'd just gone to Old Trafford um, a, a couple of weeks before and looked great. And Mavropanos played and everyone was very excited about him. He's getting a lot of airtime on this pod. <laughs> he, um, is. he is. And he was sent off after about one minute in this game. Uh, it was the earliest red card. It was a rash uh, challenge on Ianacho as a youngster. And uh, we went 1-0 down and it, it seemed like there was no way back. 
but it sort of seemed poetic in a way that I was watching Arsenal with 10 men, Arsene Wenger on the touchline, the whole of the King Power singing one Arsene Wenger. It was quite powerful and sort of emotional. And it was really my goodbye uh, as an away supporter of an Arsene Wenger side. Aubameyang uh, scored from a cutback and I went more ballistic than anyone else in that away end because I thought we'd just cling on, get a draw and it would feel great. And it was sort of my goodbye. Um, we did lose, go on to lose 3-1. Mares twisted uh, someone inside and out and bent it in. Uh, I can't actually remember the other goal, but it was just it was just that game itself. And when Aubameyang scored, how happy I was that I wasn't going to go out on a loss. I did, um, as I did often that season in Wenger's last. But it was just one of those things. I, I, I never felt it was such a connection that day. And sort of, you look back in time and it's clearly stuck with me because I just remember standing there. And I think it was a midweek game. It was, And yeah. I'd driven up after work. I had a cracking KFC at a service station. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got my usual parking spot at the King Power, which I'm not even going to say out loud where it is because it's that good. Don't so, ruin it. <laughs> but you have to pay, but it's only a fiver. But on it's a very small car park. I don't know how I've come across It's like eight cars. So you're not waiting and it's quicker to get back on the motorway. Anyway, I digress. Um, the important stuff we discuss here on The Boys in Red and White. Um, but just, I just, you know, it was that connection. And so much of football is about those connections and those moments. And that was that was one of them for me. Yeah, that was uh, that whole season is a bit bittersweet for me because I, it was a, it was a season when obviously with Arsene Wenger leaving, it was the the end of an era, um, and really really uh, really heartbreaking towards the end. But it was a season that I unfortunately had to take a uh, I suppose you could call it a holiday from um, <laughs> Arsenal because I was doing my teacher training at the time, so funds were very much at a premium. Um, so I didn't really get to many games that year. Um, despite being a season ticket holder, but it's um, yeah a real a real wrench that I didn't get to say didn't get that goodbye that you got that day. Um, so really, really uh, disappointing. Um, but I can assure you, missing out on the Bernabeu was one thing. Missing out on a freezing cold King Power in May to watch us lose was not one I would be bragging about, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for trying to make me feel better. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> okay, that brings me on to my last guy. And I've kind of cheated here because initially when I proposed this, I know that you, Andre, were under the impression we were only doing goals uh, at Leicester. And I straight away jumped in with a home goal. <laughs> so I have cheated slightly, but it's a goal, uh, a goal of huge significance for me um, on a personal level as well as on a football supporting level. And it is uh, Aubameyang's, I think it, it must have been his second goal um, against Leicester uh, when Unai Emery looked like he was going to turn us into the greatest football team that had ever played the game. And we produced one of the greatest goals I've had the privilege of being at. And it was just obviously a wonderful team move. Everyone's seen it. I don't need to describe it in that much detail, but where everything was one or two touch passing. It was Meza Ozil at his absolute best. Bellerin plays the ball into him on the edge of the box. He steps over it, allows the ball into Lacazette, plays it into the path of Ozil, and Ozil then passes it with the outside of his left foot into the path of Aubameyang to tap in. And it was football at its absolute best. But the reason why that game has such significance to me is, firstly, it's the 
one and only time that my fiance has attended an Arsenal game with me. <laughs> um, so that was a quite a significant moment because I'm always very wary about bringing people who aren't particularly into football to Arsenal games. And obviously I, th- I felt at some point I had to bring her to a game. So I brought her to that game and it was really, really wonderful. And it was when uh, I was on half term. So we had a couple days where we we just did some really fun activities. I remember we went to like a, a Breaking Bad themed bar where they make do cocktails. Oh, that's great. That. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> um, going off on a tangent there, but what was most significant is before the game, I took her to 12 pins because obviously what else was I going to do? I was going to take her to my <laughs> local, my watering hole and show her what we do before a game. So we had a, a couple of drinks in there and it was when we were in that pub before the Leicester game that we found out that our offer for our first house had been accepted. And it was just a really fantastic moment and it set the whole day up um, and it set the game up for just this crescendo mm-hmm. and it was so fantastic to then go and watch that football and I, I i'll be honest i had to explain to her why the goal that we just witnessed was <laughs> as good as it was she didn't understand because from her non-footballing eyes she saw it as a tap-in and nothing more <laughs> and i i spent probably the next 10 minutes explaining to her why it was so special <laughs> now and... what you don't understand right laura <laughs> is that when someone steps over a ball like that and makes a subsequent third-man run, that is footballing art. And I I just feel like you really should have seen that. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty much what the conversation was. And even now, uh, I asked her the other day, not that long ago, and said to her, Laura, do you remember what the score was when when you came to the Emirates? And she said, no. (laughs) And I said, do you remember who we played? And she said, no. And I was like, Laurie, you've been to one game. <laughs> you've got to know this stuff. Yeah. Sadly, Tom, what I've realised is that no one knows this stuff like we know this stuff. And, you know, that's OK because we've got each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 honestly, Andre, I'd be lost without you. <laughs> 100%. 100 No one cares. And the thing is, you remember more about that game uh, because she was there then she remembers about the game and it was her one experience it's it's soul destroying it really is um after this podcast i'm gonna go and have a word <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny actually because kelly was at that game with me and that is i believe one of about i think we've been to wren together for Europa League tie. I wonder if she remembers that. I'll ask her after this and, and <laughs> put it on the social media channel once the pod's out. I'll let you know. But yeah, it was a special day. But that that was, um, I mean, we've got to be honest, at the time, that was the game where I thought we've got a hell of a manager in Unai Emery. You know, I can, always, I can picture myself being um, evangelical about what he was doing and how he transformed things and it's uh it's amazing how football changes you know again almost relating it back to what we're talking about it's amazing Willian plays okay and everyone goes he's back Arsenal man (laughs) right decision (laughs) to give him the three years (laughs) yeah it's amazing how how uh fickle we all are but uh I remember being so excited about Emery that day but uh yeah great memories (laughs) Very, uh, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Great memories, but unfortunately, it didn't quite work out as planned. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
But on that positive note and those four wonderful goals, it's time to bring this podcast to a close. Um, Andre, thank you so much for your time as always. It's been an absolute pleasure, which I say every week, but it genuinely is. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by searching for The Boys in Red and White podcast. And you can also go to our website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And we will be back next week with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.